Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together. As we recite together the Apostles' Creed, this is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you here this morning at Celebration Church. It's wonderful warm weather outside. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> anyway, so glad that you are here. We have a very special guest with us this morning. He's going to be coming and just to encourage all of us. Greg Stubbe, many of you remember him. Uh, it's been a few years since he's been here. Uh, I've shared this story before, but there's always new people here. When I first met Greg, I was speaking in, uh, we were on the island of Puerto Rico, as I remember, speaking for Burger King, right? So I'm often asked to go speak for these corporate events. And, uh, you know, so they bring us in early in the week and we're just enjoying this great resort. And uh, so the final day I had to go work for my, you know, hour or whatever it was. So I decided to go a little bit early, kind of get a feel for the room. And there's one boring speaker after another. And I always love that. Because when they really suck, I look great. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so they're like, blah, 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 blah. I like, I just, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. So and then just before I get it, so we want to welcome our next speaker, uh, Greg Stubbe, he stands up, this guy in his military uniform, this is uh, before he'd retired, right? And uh, he gets up there and he starts telling a story uh, how he had been very badly wounded uh, in Afghanistan. And he tells us just really powerful event, walking through what had happened to him and how badly he'd been injured, all the surgeries he'd been through. He says, I don't look very good naked. He says, I got just surgery marks all over me and stuff like that. And anyway, when he, I mean, he's good. I mean, he's, he's got the whole audience in his hand. And then when he gets done, the audience jumps to their feet, standing ovation, tears streaming down their faces. And I'm thinking, oh, good grief. <laughs> Who put this guy in front of me? And I said, well, now we want to welcome Mark Gunger. I'm thinking, oh, good grief. Mr. Funny Man. You know, they're all crying. <clears throat> and I got up there and I said, wow. I said, that's a tough act to follow. I said, the only thing I got in common with that guy is apparently... Neither one of us looks very good naked. <laughs> Would you please welcome my friend, Greg Stubbe. It feels like I'm home. It, it does, it does. I, I just want to tell you how happy I am to be in Celebration Church because you are my family. And... You were a part of my healing process when wounds were still fresh, and you were a great big part for me um, in a pursuit of a better relationship with God in a time where I had a lot of questions 
and, and a lot was confusing and everything about my life on earth came into question. So I, I want to thank you for the example you gave me uh, at that time as a community and as a family. And you've continued to do that ever since. Even you, Joe. <laughs> So, if, if you know anything about me, I, I don't really like whiners. I, I think it's ridiculous. I think if we decide to do something, it ought to be for the right reasons. We ought to be unified in, in certain goals and certain core values. And if that's who we are, then it's what we have to do. And you don't volunteer to do things and then be sour grapes afterwards and act sympathetic and become a victim because something bad happened to you. Hello, you're human, you live on earth, bad stuff is gonna happen. <laughs> Just get ready for it, especially if you sign up for it. And that's, right, and that's the kind of stuff I did. I can remember going through special forces training for a long period of time, drinking through a fire hose, trying to keep up, and they were really making me suffer. And, and there were times I thought, this can't be legal. There's no way they can do this to me. And then I remembered, oh, man, I volunteered. And, and you could quit any time you wanted to, but then you'd have to do the duffel bag drag to the shack of shame. And you didn't want anyone to see that. I wanted to make good for myself, but bad stuff was going to happen, and so my commitment was tested more and more and more through time, and all of us find how much we believe in something when to maintain that belief, we have to give stuff up, and it can cost us. And Mark and I were talking about this, and, and he came up with a verse this morning that just sums up a whole lot of how I feel, and this is Luke 17 starting with seven. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. And of course, this is in context of servanthood, of, of what people's role in life might have been thousands of years ago. <clears throat> Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And to me, that speaks volumes about what we expect in return for what we should do in the first place. How much are we asking for and how much do we expect? Or should we just do it and shut our mouths. I think we could use a little bit of that today. And for me, sometimes I get referred to as a hero, a war hero, and it still just stings, it hurts, because I know the real heroes are the ones that didn't get to come home, and they don't get to come to Celebration Church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Those are the heroes. But for me, how can I be called a hero for simply doing my duty, doing what I was called to do? And if you see me as a victim, if you, if you see me in a sympathetic light, I would, I would challenge that. And if you're one of these dirty, nasty civilians that's never been in the military, <laughs> I forgive you. But, 
But the honest truth is that you're the fabric of America. You may not represent Fort Bragg or Fort Benning. You may not represent the Airborne. But let me tell you something, there wouldn't be a military or law enforcement unless the fabric of America was so strong and bound by core values so meaningful and, and so productive that they're worth defending, right? And I spent most of my adult life in lesser developed areas where I saw that the horrible truth about what freedom really is if left to us humans. Because the lesser part of human nature relegates freedom to becoming a jungle rapidly. And I'll tell you, freedom among unregulated populations, freedom just means I can hit you over the head and take your stuff. It becomes a criminal environment. It becomes a violent environment. So we should be thankful for our law enforcement that protect us from our own nature. Thank you for them, and, and thanks for the military for safeguarding all of this freedom and safety, but it wouldn't be worth a flip if we didn't do our jobs at home. I used to think I knew what service was about. I thought it was me. I thought it was, you know, somebody in a uniform toting a gun over there and, and maybe a law enforcement officer too. Nowadays, I feel different because the real service isn't, it isn't that at all. That's just a necessary protection of things that are wonderful. Now, the ultimate picture of service to me is our relationship with our Creator. It, that's where service is. So yes, yeah, support the troops, but serve God. <laughs> and if you're working in a job, you may be working for a boss, but serve a virtue. <laughs> Have something bigger in mind. Serve something greater than yourself. Now, to me, after, after the example that God gives us in our relationship with Him, I have to give the award of service, like in Webster's Dictionary, the picture of service should be mama. It should be mama. Because she can be sick, tired, hungry, injured, and it don't matter. She's wiping your butt for you <laughs> through the night, suffering. And that kind of love and compassion and, and selfless service is really the best example we have. I don't know. Uh, we're just not washing each other's feet in today's society, are we? Are we loving each other? And that, and that concerns me because especially among men, and, and I'm not throwing, you know, a gender under the bus, but men are idiots. And <laughs> we, what? <laughs> what, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't be shocking. <laughs> so, you know, particularly men, we, we find this love and compassion stuff to be oozy and, and too soft and spongy, and we can't get near that. It, it threatens our manhood. But that's the only strength we have because all this physical stuff and all this mental rigidity that we carry around, it's going away. It's leaving us. And it may happen slowly over the years and decades. You started off drooling as a baby, we're going to be drooling again as an old man. But we don't want to face that, do we? No, we're losing everything that we think makes us competent and awesome. And we can even believe we don't need anybody. Right? You're a rock. You're an island. It's your job to help everybody else. You don't need any help. Well, that's what I thought. 
until I wound up butt up in a hospital bed for months, wounded on the battlefield where I lost over half my intestines and I got third degree burns on my butt. Not a good recipe. No, because every time. All right, I'll just tell you. And I'm sorry about your breakfast in, in advance. But when you're losing your bowels 15, 20 times a day and there's this yellow acid water running out of your butt and going into sterile burn dressings, number one, it hurts. Number two, somebody's got to clean it up. And if you can't move well enough, who's going to do that? But there are people serving us every day in these hospitals. And don't get me wrong, I always wanted to meet pretty nurses, but not like that. <laughs> don't, no. No, and so, and so the embarrassment, the humiliation, the, the, no one trained me for that. No one prepared me for the one thing. Nobody taught me as a boy, a man, a soldier to do the one thing that would have saved me through it all if I would have surrendered first. But we learn to never surrender, and that's a mistake. We should surrender to our faith and we should surrender to love and compassion. We should never mistake that love and compassion that mama shows for the baby to be weakness. That's, that's foolish of us. We should never see that as weakness because that is the only thing that makes us strong in the end. It'll be the only thing we have left. And I learned that the hard way. If you think, if you think that that love and compassion is weakness, then let me tell you, if you threaten that child, <laughs> If you recklessly disregard that child, mama will kill you. And there won't be any hesitation. And she won't have to look back and regret anything. Because the fact is, you know, men, so often we fight for reputation, issues of legacy. We need to be known to have a certain reputation. And so we'll stand up for it and we'll fight. We'll go fisticuffs. We'll, we'll do violence on people we love just to maintain our image. Are you kidding? Meanwhile, mama's taking care of everybody else and staying in the shadows. Never gets any credit for it, and she never will because we're too busy leaving the house as the awesome individuals we are, and we're awesome just because we are. Not because anybody ever did anything for us, not because anybody's supporting us as we go through our lives, Mama's never going to be recognized for that greatness. But let me tell you, what we don't recognize often enough is that mama or that, or that caregiver role in our lives, that service beyond sacrifice deal that some people are good enough and kind enough to give, but most of us aren't, that mama is the only safe place in the universe. Yep. And if you, need, if you need proof, I'll tell you, this is kind of a football town, I think. Yeah. You got a college team here or something? I love the Packers, I do. And, uh, but if you think, I've been watching Super Bowls my whole life. And on, in the Super Bowl, that is the apex of American entertainment. It is. And my proof, my case in point would be that those are the most expensive commercials that can be purchased for television. Super Bowl, that's it. And there are young men from every town in the USA, and they are vying for a, a, a spot on the Green Bay Packers, right? 
They're playing football and from a very early age, they're learning to ramble down a field of gladiators to try to make it into the end zone. They wanna make it to a college team, very few do, and then far fewer make it to an NFL team. Now picture the kid that makes it to an NFL team and his team makes it to the Super Bowl. And in the Super Bowl, this kid scores a touchdown himself in the Super Bowl. He's at the top of the world. What gets better than that? He looks back down through the field of gladiators that he busted through to make it into the end zone. Then he notices as he takes his helmet off, the cameras are dialed in, zoomed in on his face. And all of a sudden, this big burly athlete, he takes on a posture like he doesn't have a bone in his whole body. Hi, mom. <laughs> Tell me how that happens. If mama isn't the center of our cultural awareness, if, if mama isn't the only safe place, and if love and compassion isn't truly where we belong and what we need, and if it's not compelling enough, as a medical sergeant on the battlefield, I can still taste the blood and the vomit of my friends who I couldn't save. And when they died, almost to the man, they uttered words that had to do with mom, mama, mother. It's the safe place. And you know what? <laughs> we all know the only other thing that gets mentioned in that moment, and it's God. And I think it's because that kind of service is godly and worldly in a worldly sense. That kind of love and compassion is godly. It's terrible that we don't stay closer to that. It's terrible that we don't love each other enough. It's terrible that... Now, I, I spend a lot of time these days, I work at the FBI Academy, and, and I'm sorry. Um, I know the FBI has been having trouble already, and it, it may shake your faith in our institution for law enforcement. And here we go. That's another wound for you to know that I work there now. Um, they can't afford much else, I guess. <laughs> um, but when I go there, I talk about leadership, team dynamics, and resilience. And, um, and the more I do that on a professional basis for agencies, government, companies, the more I realize that it's it's even more important for us at home. It's even more important for us as a culture, as Christians, to maintain the fabric of this thing. Because if we don't maintain this fabric, if we don't have this wonderful model of God-given freedom, then who in the next generation would volunteer to fight for it? So we got to be working on these things. Leadership, team dynamics, resilience. We've got to be able to stay the course and be effective in our fight for this, for this culture. And, but, but we fall prey to ourselves. You know, it's like, I've seen the enemy, and it's me. <laughs> and it's so true for all of us because we spend time judging each other. We assess each other negatively. We're not worthy or someone else is not worthy. And there's probably someone sitting here right now that you do not like. Don't point him out. No, don't, no. We don't need to know that right now, but there's probably somebody you don't like, and the honest truth is that 
we need to wake up and smell the coffee because our absolute commonalities far outweigh any of these petty little perceived differences. For me, you know, I, I assess people harshly. And I remember a student that came into my course. Well, I can rewind to before I was born. Anybody heard of Elvis Presley? Yeah, that, that heathen. They, they wouldn't show him from the belly button down because the way he moved his, his legs and his hips and stuff, right? And, and there was a cultural divide at the time that said he was going to Hades because the way he moved. And you were going to Hades if you were listening to that devil music. Well, we did not know about Miley Cyrus yet. As a people, I think, I hope we can all agree, Elvis, we're sorry. <laughs> because Elvis never twerked. <laughs> he didn't do stuff like that. But we judged him, and there's a generational gap like that. And fast forward in my life, here I am, a, a Green Beret, standing tall, barrel-chested, steely-eyed freedom fighter, and I could conquer anything, and I would tell you so. Oh. But I'd pull into a gas station and I'd see this teenager drive into the pump and he gets out and his radio's up so loud, I can't even talk to my passenger. And it's like, man. But then he gets out of his car and I realize he has a disability. Oh, no. Because for some reason he couldn't pull his pants all the way up. Uh, and because I... No one is going to intentionally show you their underwear in public. I don't know why you're laughing, but, but then I realized it, it was an epidemic. It must have been contagious because there were other young men that had the same issue. <clears throat> and I assessed them harshly, and I said, there's no way that these turds would make it through what I've been through. We're hopeless. We're not going to make it with a generation like this coming up. And I was harsh. But then I got to see something special. <clears throat> the horrible, the horrible, horrible day came of 9-11. And the Twin Towers fell and 3,000 beautiful, innocent people died from terrorism. And after that, from inside the army, I got to see so many of these young people pulling up their pants turning down the radio and raising their right hand to swear in and fight and agree to die for our freedom. And I felt so stupid for judging them the way I had. Every generation sees the younger one as weaker, worthless. <laughs> They'll never make it. But it's so untrue. We have to focus on our absolute commonalities and stop it with the petty little differences. Now, I'll go to to when I was an instructor in, in special forces surgery and anesthesia and trauma management, a student came into the program and I couldn't stand him. His name was Riley Stevens. I mean, really, he was stealing my oxygen. <laughs> when he spoke, it sounded like nails on a chalkboard to me and I could not wait to get rid of him if I could. He flunked two different subjects in one day and I got to be in the chain that let him go. And I recommended him NTR, never to return. And all he had to say back, I mean, he never had a negative attitude towards me. I just judged him harshly. I said, look, if, 
if I pass you, my dad would kill me because you couldn't save my life in combat. Simple, right? All he said to me was, Roger that, Sarn, tell me where to go. And he went to a regular unit and he went to war and then he asked permission to come back into the program and he wouldn't even do it without getting my personal permission first. And I thought, what is this, a bad penny keeps popping up? Well, he wound up back in the program and I didn't care because I was going back to the A-team. My instructor time was over. He made it through that program two years of, uh, of doing it all over again, and he passed with flying colors. If we fast forward again, I'm laying on the battlefield with my intestines exposed. I've got a foot and ankle still in a boot that's separated from the rest of my leg, and the fire on my flesh keeps reigniting from the diesel and rocket propellant. I've got holes all over the place. I'm bleeding profusely, and they keep saying, hang in there, Stuby, hang in there. The medic's almost here. As the medic approaches from my feet, I could see it was the turd, Riley Stevens. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. You don't think the Lord has a sense of humor? <laughs> so in my dire situation, clinging to life, I came up with these important words. No hard feelings, right? <laughs> and And all of a sudden, I love Riley Stevens. He's awesome. He's on my Christmas card list now forever. I want my kids to meet the hero that saved my life. But what changed about Riley Stevens? Nothing. The only thing that changed was my ability to see the good in him that was there the whole time. I just couldn't see it. I didn't see it, I refused. Who's the turd? It's me. And, and I saw him later at Fort Bragg and I was in a wheelchair. And, and when I saw him, I did what any Green Beret would do and I cried like a little baby. And I mean like hyperventilating with a quivering boo-boo lip and I couldn't talk. And I couldn't stop. And he did what he had to do. And he wrote his name and number on a post-it note, stuck it to my chest and said, get with me later, bro. And he saved us all the embarrassment of me crying so much. A couple of years went by and I was in the process of getting my life back. I was thinking about me. I was doing me. And that's all I could think of was me. Then I got a phone call. Riley Stevens is dead. He's been shot in the neck in Afghanistan and the medic couldn't save him. Riley never got a Christmas card from me. He never even got lunch from me. My son didn't get to spend time with him. So my question is, if we already know that someone we don't like is probably going to be the one to save our neck, because it's just the way it works, why aren't we hugging it out now? Why are we waiting for the wreck? Why are we waiting for the tragedy? Don't we love each other? Yes. Give it away. Give it away in every way we can. And I mean spiritually, professionally, personally. We all need to be in the business of putting ourselves out of business. 
You know, we walk around at work with such an attitude. We have such wisdom and knowledge. We have the globe of knowledge, but we keep it inside our shirt. And we'd rather treat somebody bad because they're new and they don't know as much as we do. I remember being a private in the army and this old wise sergeant used to say, I got more time in the latrine than you got in the army. I've been doing this for 20 years. You don't know nothing. And I remember at the time I couldn't say it out loud. I hope it doesn't take 20 years to learn this. <laughs> we need to give everything away unless we want the next generation to reinvent the wheel. Myself, I'm on the bench now. I don't get to be the warfighter. I don't get to face our nation's enemies. I don't get to be the one. And so I look back with deep remorse and regret that I didn't do more to train that next generation. I didn't do more to help them and make them better. Because when Riley Stevens saved my life, he was using lessons learned from the battlefield that were new and better. And he was a better medic than I had ever been. And all of a sudden, it wasn't an insult to me and my professionalism. It was the best compliment I could ever get. And for us as Christians, as people, as citizens, I think that's a concept we might want to pay attention to. Let's hug it out now. Stop acting like you're so smart. Intellectual humility is the way. And we don't even begin to, to become wise until we recognize that we don't know squat. Wisdom can't even begin until we recognize how little we know. You know, there's known knowns and known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Donald Rumsfeld told me about this um, one evening at a banquet. And, and he said, we know what we know and that's how we plan everything. And no one can argue with us because we know what we know for ourselves. And we usually stick to that and we don't think about anything else. We won't even allow it to be challenged by anything or anyone else because we know what we know. Then you've got known unknowns, stuff we don't know, like the weather. How many people will be there? Well, we may not know them, but we've identified them and we can plan for those unknowns. But here comes the third category of information and it's unknown unknowns. We don't even know what we don't even know. And this, this is the part that makes me think of that famous theologian, what's his name? Uh, oh, Mike Tyson. Um, he said, everybody got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and that's, that's life. That's, that's it. Because if we fail to maintain intellectual humility, it's the stuff we don't even know we don't even know that's going to get us. So we have to be mindful of that. And, and as Christians, our ministry falls flat if we just act like we know everything all the time. Why don't we rely on God's grace, rely on love and, and, and the open-ended beauty of what he offers us instead of just talking about how much we know all the time. So to be resilient, we're going to have to stay the course for our culture. We're going to have to be true to that and true to him and true to each other. Part of this resilience is going to really depend on not being a victim. And, you know... I, the wounded warrior people came to my bedside when I was hurt and, and it was a problem for me because I couldn't make it make sense. It's like military intelligence. You can't put those words together. No, they can't coexist on the same plane. And, and wounded warrior is the same thing. I, don't, I can't be both. I had to pick one. 
I'm either a warrior or I'm wounded. And wounded is not an acceptable destination for a human being. It's not a reasonable identity for anyone. And you don't have to be wounded in combat to be a victim or be wounded at all. You can get passed over for a promotion. You can be discriminated against. You can get in a car wreck on your way to work. But stop being a victim and stop accepting sympathy from people. Number one, you're disqualifying yourself as a leader in any regard. If you can't handle your own stuff, how are you supposed to handle it for other people? So quit whining. Simple, right? Right? Yeah, this whole victim thing. And if you volunteered, by definition, you can't be a victim anyway. So stop it. Put other people first, and it's amazing how well you will be taken care of. And I learned that the hard way. So, can we love each other, or are we going to wait for the wreck? Let's get serious about loving each other. Reach out to someone today that you haven't reached out to yet. Reach out to someone you think maybe you don't understand, because it could be a Riley Stevens who you think you have differences with but you don't. And all it takes is bringing them close enough to understand, to share some thoughts, and wind up agreeing on things that you just never talked about. Let's love each other. Let's let's put someone else first and get a great team dynamic, start confessing some limitations, and gain the intimacy that we need to make each other better and to survive the perils that we're facing as a society. This is the home team right here. Celebration Church, to me, is better than Fort Bragg. It's Fort Living Room. It's the fabric of our freedom, the way God intended it for us. I love you, every one of you. God bless you. God bless America.